This is the Women Emerging Expedition Podcast, so you can follow the ups and downs and the roundabouts of the expedition and play your part in them. 24 women started on the 28th of May 2022 on this virtual expedition that will take nine months. We are women from across the world determined to find an approach to leadership that resonates with women. We'll be successful so that women the world over will be able to say, if that's leadership, I'm in. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Julie Middleton, Expedition Leader. So the expedition has been going on since May, as you know. 24 women from all parts of the world. The truth is that over the months, we have been through probably what are pretty predictable stages, haven't we? Given that we're from all over the world. You know, the early stages where you think that everybody's different from you. (laughs) Then that sort of second stage when you think, oh, no, no, we're all very much the same. And then that next stage when you sort of recognise sort of a mixture of the two. And in that, how deeply your own perception of the role of women is, is, is baked into you from a very early age by the culture that you were brought up in. And, and to some extent, how you've, you assumed for a long time that whatever you understood as the role of women in society through your upbringing was in fact the role of women across the board. And it's only possibly when, you, when you're in such an international group or when you travel, when you move, that you begin to discover that actually the role of women in different societies is very, very different. One of the members of the expedition is Selvi, and she, she, she moved uh, after a childhood in Indonesia to work in Singapore. And just that move, she expresses just what a surprise it was to discover that what she had understood in Indonesia wasn't the same in Singapore. I I grew up in Indonesia, but I do have a, a Chinese heritage. And I think that influenced um, my view of how a nuclear family should look like. My growing up and my cultural aspect shapes me to have a more conservative or traditional view of a a nuclear family. And that means like um, a father should be the provider for the family. A female or the mom will rely on the partner, the husband. And I would have um, the daughter who is well protected. So... I carry that mindset with me. And when I came to Singapore, I started to realize that there is more than one way of making, of there's more than one form of a nuclear family. And what surprised me was what um, that women can have row one, row two, row three, row five, one, two, three, four, five, which, is, which are all different, but they can do it well. This is actually really intriguing, isn't it? Unpicking these assumptions. So I thought we might devote this episode to to the subject. And 
And so I went to talk to three different women. What they have in common is that they were all brought up in different parts of the world and then moved to the US. So the US is the sort of common factor here. The Zanila, who moved from Albania to um, the US. There's Alfonsina, who moved from Mexico to the US. And there's Anna, who moved from Sweden to the US. Uh, I, I found it completely intriguing to, to talk to all three about the shocks after the moves and what it, what it revealed about their own assumptions. So let's start first with Anila, um, who moved from a, a culture very much steeped in Central Europe to one of North America. And I asked Anila, uh, you know, what surprised her most? Well, um, uh, there are some that I would list more as big surprises that I didn't expect, particularly given the fact that I was moving from a society that is more evolving to what I had perceived as societies that were more developed when it comes to women, women's position uh, in society. So uh, one of those examples that I remember uh, being quite surprised was uh, very, uh, very practical and has to do with women who have education, have a career. When they have their children, deciding to give up their career, yeah, to stay at home. And I'm not speaking to that group of people that really love to do that. Yeah, that's a different category. But I'm speaking more to that category of women who feel they need to do it. Yeah. And there was a default expectation that the woman would put their career on hold or in cases abort it altogether and assume this uh, mother, uh, family, home, stay at home kind of role. And I have to say that was a big surprise for me. Growing up, uh, for most of my childhood in a communist system, but also, I would say more broadly, societies in the Balkans in, in Central Europe, education for women is really everything. There is an expectation and it, uh, that women are well-educated and have a career. And this is reinforced not just by families, but also the society in recognizing academic accomplishment. And come, having come from this background, I've made the assumption that more developed economies not only this would be the case, but it would be even more so where women would prioritize education and careers and would be further ahead. Why do you think it's so baked into the culture in Central Europe? It might be explained by um, a number of factors. One of them, I see that communism did have a, a role to play because it was about equal rights and everybody had a contributing role. And, and that required a big emphasis on education for women and men. 
The other factor could be that these societies that the rights of women are still on surface, not as advanced and in the Western uh, societies. And so women have to be more robust to have a voice. And having education and a career and expertise gives women that credibility and that voice to, to, to uh, be taken seriously in, in, in their communities. Did people actually question your choices? They didn't question vocally, uh, but subtly. Uh, I had just given birth to my second daughter and gave back after six months. And I was also going up for a promotion while I was working in a consulting area with clients, very demanding. And a very senior male leader did call me to say, are you sure you want to go for promotion? That's a lot, having children, having your career. You know, my wife, once she had the first child, she stopped her career. And that's quite a lot for her, just the children. So that was the way that I saw from, from male leaders is that expectation that you can't go as fast as you think you want to go because you have these other obligations. And none of them ever recognised that because your roots were in Central Europe, you just, it was second nature to you. Um, not only they didn't recognise that, I... Um, I truly believe they felt that what they held to be true was the truth and was the right way to, do, to, to build one's career and build families. But there are other examples of things that are sort of built into your DNA because you grew up in Central Europe that, that you assumed were global and that weren't? Another example which might be a bit controversial is sort of the level of subtlety of bias in the workplace against women. In Central Europe, like I said, we are not as, as, as advanced in terms of the service. So there is still sex, uh, sexist language and very visible signs of a much of patriarchic society. But you see it and you know where you stand and you can engage and address. When I moved to these Western societies, it took me by surprise at first. It was a bit unsettling until I could point it out. But it's not as visible. It's subtle. Is when you are in a meeting, you, you, may, you might express an opinion and suddenly nobody picks up on it. And then a few minutes later, a man will say it and they will say, well, as he said, yeah. Or there will be some other very subtle ways that you are expected as a woman to lend your message. And the feedback you get on how you communicate when you unpick it is really so that you fit more on the style of the man that are, are, is kind of the dominant style in the business. And the reason I think it's controversial is that not everybody likes to admit that that's happening. If you're brought up in Central Europe, 
as a woman, do you tend to be more serious? Brilliant question. And, and Julia, you just tripped on a kind of a stereotype. Mm, that's what I wanted to ask it. Yeah, the opposite. The opposite. Personally, and I can't speak for all the women, but I find Central European women to be more um, colorful. And they are they don't take themselves as serious, so they can make fun of themselves, be uh, even uh, uh, be argumentative when they believe on something and then agree and laugh wholeheartedly about what they didn't know. So there is more of a lightheartedness in terms of the, the discourse. Now life tends to have bigger challenges for Central Europe, European women in, in generality. So perhaps the seriousness, is, the seriousness comes in the obstacles that we have to overcome. Some of the obstacles that uh, I see here in the Western world would not qualify as real big problems. Yeah, But the style, I wouldn't describe as serious. I would describe actually as more relaxed, and comfortable to be yourself. Here is one example um, of uh, Central European Balkan societies and big generalization. So uh, for the sake of the argument, we, we like to debate. We like to offer a, an opposing view. That doesn't undermine the relationship, yeah? We can debate about it, with passion and hands and gestures, and then laugh about it and move on and then move to a different topic. Also, we don't sugarcoat messages. In fact, being super diplomatic and direct is seen as patronizing and disrespectful. You do that with total strangers where you don't have trust or really invested, you are not invested in their success, but you never do it with family and colleagues. And moving to these Western cultures, one of the first things that I had to moderate my, in myself is the directness of my messages, but also presenting an opposing view. And I felt that that was primarily needed in my case because I was a woman, as most of the language I heard used for women who were argumentative and direct were not very positive words. Like you would know better in English, but words like catty and so on. So that, there was a connotation that as a woman, being argumentative, having a debate, having a uh, opposing view is not collegial. And so as a result, to make true change, then it requires a, a style that is way more indirect and diplomatic. It takes a long time to understand other cultures, doesn't it? It does. It does. And it means it, it, it requires some humility. Yeah. First off, by recognizing that your way is not the only way. Thank you so much, Anila. You have put into words something I have struggled with for years and years and years. The, um, the amount of times 
I get that look of, you are so rude for interrupting me, as I jump into a conversation and, in quotes, interrupt people. I don't see it as interrupting. I see it as engaging and getting excited about what they're saying. But um, I've endlessly been in trouble for interrupting and being an interrupter, definitely one of those irritating women that doesn't always agree with everything. So loved everything you said, Anila. Let's move on now to Alfonsina, who moved this time from Mexico to California. My first question to Alfonsina was, how does the position of women in society, as you perceived it to be, having been brought up in Mexico, go on, Alfonsina, summarize it in one word? That's a very complex question. I don't know if I can summarize it for everyone, but I would I would argue, um, thankfully changing, especially over the past five years. But there's there's a, if I had to use a word, I, I think I would use submissive. I think as an expectation, I, I, I certainly wouldn't want people to think that what I'm saying is that Mexican women are submissive, but there's an expectation that you should be. It's linked to our colonial past, right? There's an element of, of, of a submissive culture in Mexico that of course permeates the gender roles as well. An example is um, if you want to say, pardon me in Spanish, a very sort of proper common way, which I was taught and not in my family, this was actually prohibited by my mother because she refused for us to say that. You're supposed to say mande, which translates to um, order me. So if somebody asks you a question, instead of saying, pardon me, you, 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 your response is order me. And my mother from very, very, I remember very clearly, my sister and I one time said that because I had been told by somebody else's parents, like, you can't just say what, like, you're a proper girl, you're supposed to say. And I repeated this to my mother. And she said, that is the first and last time that you will ever say that nobody will order you. So, so when you moved to California, did you find that you had to rethink the assumptions around the role of women? There is a difference in terms of um, what you're allowed to do or how you calculate risks of, of, of your own behavior as, as a woman when you move. Um, a perfect experience is, for example, sexual harassment. And I'm not saying there's no so sexual harassment in California, but I never experienced walking around in San Francisco the sexual harassment that I did experience in Mexico. Um, I definitely felt safer as a woman walking in San Francisco than I did uh, as a woman in Mexico. I, there are plenty of examples. Um, I don't know of any single friend in Mexico who, if you take public transportation, you don't think about what you're going to wear. Like there is a there is an intentional decision if thinking about what your wardrobe should be if you're going to take public transportation and I very actively remember making those decisions like if I'm going to go on the subway especially during certain times like mini skirts are out of the question or even a skirt um tops with low cuts out of the question like nothing that might invite uh a gaze that might give off the wrong impression these these calculations around risks around sexual um, violence, I think, were much more present for me in Mexico than in San Francisco. And there was there was a big relief and almost like a weight that got lifted off of feeling like 
oh, I don't have to think about this. And I don't think I had realized how much time, energy, and stress went around those calculations all of the time. If you feel safe or more safe, how does that change your perception of your role in society as a woman? Thank you for that clarification around you know safer because I don't think we can, I don't know, a single woman who can probably walk around saying that she feels 100% safe. Um, I mean, I think it gives you a freedom for starters. Um, that sense that I found of like lightness it gives you a sense of freedom of, of, you know, not having to think about the logistics of if I went out for drinks and it's past midnight, like what are the, how do I get back home? Or if I'm drunk in a cab, again, this is not to say that it doesn't happen in the U S it felt less likely to happen than in Mexico about the safety of, you know, not having to tell 15 different friends I'm getting into a cab and please check on me for the next half hour. Um, I just needed less, thinking about it. Um, it. There's a there's an issue around the energy that is spent on our safety that I didn't feel that I had to do. You can think about things when you're walking back home that are not, who's, who's are those steps behind me? And um, in my case, walking is, is a place of creativity. I think about um, even having drinks with friends is a place of, you know, like many really great ideas or projects that I've worked on have come from from having drinks with folks or, or, or meeting for dinner and, and having these conversations. And I'm assuming that I've been a more creative, productive woman in society because I'm not spending that much time thinking about these, I'm thinking about safety and thinking about, um, yeah, just things like, how am I going to get home? I do think it creates more joy as well. Like it sounds obvious, but when you're not thinking about getting raped, it's much easier to think about things that you're joyful as, like taking a walk back in midnight, you know, moonlight and thinking about how great it looks and how it reflects on the street instead of thinking about who might be around the corner. And it's just, it, it sounds so banal, but it's, I think it's, it's that basic. You're just a happier person from being safe, which is obvious. <laughs> so there was a lightness but the, was there anything that was inside you from being Mexican as a woman that you, you sort of thought, you know, California's missed out on this. Actually, this was, this was better. This was better in Mexico. One that I struggled with the most, particularly the first year, was around um, time. And for the longest time in my performance reviews at work, I got the feedback that I needed to work on my time management. And I worked with coaches. I sort of, I spent time to figure out like, what is it that is getting in the way of me being a good time manager? And not, not kidding you, I think it took me a year, like a year into this, one of my coaches actually sort of hit the, the nail on the head to say, it's not time management, it's your conception of time that is getting in the way. Um, in the US, I think this is particularly true in California, it is especially true in New York, time is a unit to be made efficiency out of. Like the, the, you know, the adage, time is money. It never rang to me as true as it does in the US. And I don't think of time that way, and I don't want to. Um, where 
efficiency is one of the ways in which you can think about it, but there's also the quality of the time and how you spend it. And, and perhaps to your point around the gender piece, you know, Latino cultures in general, and Mexico, of course, being part of that, are incredibly affectionate, right? And um, we're very touchy-feely. Our personal space looks very different than it does in the U.S. And of course, legislation and culture played a, a role in, 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 in the workspace where I felt I, I, I needed that. And I, I didn't realize until I was, in a, I was on a trip in South Africa and um, I was meeting a, a, an organization and I did the American thing that I had learned how to do over a year, which was extending my hand and saying, very nice to meet you. And this woman said, no, 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 no. In Africa, we hug. And she gave me this big hug. And I was this close to breaking down into tears. And it took me a while to figure out why I was so emotional. And I realized I haven't been hugged in a very long time. And I'm linking this to time because I think in, in the U.S., building links, especially in work, and, and is not necessarily something that is considered efficient, right? Just this year went, pardon had my first work trip in two years to Brazil. And working with organizations there was so different because, you know, work sessions didn't have a strict agenda, but we got through it all that we needed to. They all morphed into lunches and dinners and drinks that were not scheduled for just 30 minutes where were like two long hour sessions where again, time was not, we made it work, you know, it was this, we like, we have a day and we'll be efficient around it. And somehow it'll, what we need to get out of the day will happen, but in a very unstructured and, and improvised way. And I guess that, that sort of free association leads me to something that might be gendered, which is, I think the rigidity and structures that happen in the US around work to me inhibit a lot of my creativity and because in the in the space of eh, boundaries that are you know flexible a lot of innovation can happen right and when you're improvising things that were not planned on happen and i do think that for women doing that in the us is is harder to pull off um, because you always have to prove, right, that you're great at what you do and you're organized and you have an agenda and, you know, your outcomes are clear. And if at any point you come off as disorganized, um, you don't know how to manage time, your outcomes aren't clear, um, you're seen as inefficient. And I do think that now you've made me realize that, that I hadn't actually realized around that's something that we miss on. And especially, I think, for women, because there's this expectation of us abiding to either a very structured American way of thinking and also very male, which is, you know, very outcomes oriented and very rigid. And, um, and I think that, again, you know, my best ideas work-wise have usually come up from non-work related spaces and conversations, um, so often fueled with wine and, and things that are not considered efficient. Uh, and then there's spaces, right, to make, to land those and have those outcomes come up. But that creativity and that possibility of dreaming, I think gets shut down uh, a lot with both the culture and the expectations of women, you know, having to be more masculine in some of the ways in which we show up at work. Alfonsina, that was, <laughs> that was delicious. 
the requirement to abide by a structured way of thinking about time. That is completely intriguing. I need to go away and think about it a lot. Um, thank you, Alfonsina. Next, we move to Anna. And Anna, of course, moved from Sweden to the US. This is going to be intriguing. Go for it, Anna. The males I worked with wanted to take care of me. Now, in the beginning, that can be nice that people take care of you when you're new in a country. On the other hand, it also implies that you can't take care of yourself. And there was a lot that had to do with my safety and my uh, my ability to move around the society on my own, whether for business or for personal reasons. And that, I have to say, really surprised me because the U.S. and Sweden, I thought, were pretty comparable in terms of relationships between men and women. But I found that women in Sweden in general was just had this kind of sense of taking care of themselves and being absolutely equal to the men. And that was a sense that came from inside, was not something that anyone told them. And you had that sense inside you? Yeah. I mean, I walked into a room and I think I knew who I was and I knew I could take care of, you know, everyday problems or I could take care of um, just in general, kind of take care of, of myself and, and make choices for myself, make choices. I didn't need to ask any of my male coworkers or friends how to about how to do things, whether it had to do with my car or my, you know, just everyday expectations that I wouldn't know how to do that. Um, and that to me was interesting because I had not sensed that in Sweden ever. Of course, you can ask a friend for help, whether it's female or male, but that I would kind of need that advice before I went ahead to do something that was surprising to me. Um, the other part was this kind of whole um, expectation about how to be dressed or how to almost um, not pleasing yourself, but pleasing others in a way that I did not see. Of course, you were respectably dressed in Sweden, but it was not a competition to try to look the best. If it was a workplace, you were there to work, not to look good. And you think it hasn't changed much over the last 30 years? You know, I see more women, particularly in tech, since I'm an engineer. I see more women, for sure. But the part that has not changed is the unreasonable sort of hours and the expectations that um, even when you have a family, there should be no, there shouldn't, you know, there's still too, too little time off around maternity. There is too little sharing between uh, husband and wife. Uh, There is, and I'm not understanding why we can't get to a point where we have a little bit more maternity leave uh, so that uh, you can sort of raise a family and still continue your career. Because I think what you had heard from some other women was that there are so many stay-at-home moms. That was to me, I don't know if I know anyone in Sweden who stays at home just doesn't exist because there the system has been changed so that it serves families better. So life quality 
is better. And that, unfortunately, even here affects women more than men. But in general, if you look at the Swedish society, there are so many more women in leadership positions. There is just so many more. You are never alone uh, if you're working. Uh, look at politicians. It, it, I mean, ministers we have had for, I feel that U.S. is almost a generation behind in terms of women in leadership positions. <laughs> so that was Anna. I said I knew you were going to love listening to Anna. Oh, what a finale to this episode. An episode in which I've learned a lot. That just, just how different it is to be a woman in different societies and how we make assumptions about our own cultures and other cultures. Just how much cultural intelligence we need as women to be able to work together across the world, um, that there are good and bad in all cultures, that um, I think I've, as if I needed it, 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 this episode has seriously challenged the perception that some societies are, as Anila says, in some way further along the development curve than others. But um, I think the main thing I've learned from this episode is that I would like to have, I would like to have a Singaporean attitude to multiple roles, an Albanian commitment to education and then using that education, coupled with an Albanian ability to disagree and and um, and then a US concept of of relative safety uh, that means that that I feel free to be creative and 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 more joyful and a latino sense of time without doubt I need a latino sense of time an african sense of cuddles and being hugged and then a swedish culture of strong independent women. Yes, that's what my island will look like. A combination of Singapore, Albania, US, Latino world and Sweden. <laughs> Sounds like perfection to me. Anyhow, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Lots of love. To become part of our movement and share your thinking with us, subscribe to the podcast and join the Women Emerging group on our website at womenemerging.org. We love all of the messages you send us, keep them coming.